Okay, Blues, welcome to episode 31 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. In this pod, rather belatedly, we're going to talk about the game between Manchester City and Hoffenheim. Today, we have with us, first of all, Presswich Blue, Colin Savage. Colin, how are you? Good. Um, I say thawed out after the match. It was a, a little bit cold, so um, I was glad to um, get in and put my feet up and get ready for this. And also we have with us from Man City Fan TV, Ray. Hi, Ray. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, uh, Mike. Thank you very much. Okay, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. So we're going to go back a little bit in time and we're going to go over the game between Manchester City and Hoffenheim. Manchester City 2, Hoffenheim 1, two goals from Leroy Sane, one from Kramerich, a penalty. Uh, guys, just uh, wondering what you thought about the lineup. I'm just going to go through it for you. So, Ederson, Stones, Otamendi, Laporte, Zinchenko, Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, Foden, Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, and Sane. Uh, Ray, were you delighted to see Foden getting a, a start? Of course. Uh, I think uh, we ex- we kind of expected it uh, with David Silva and KDB out injured. And I think... We've all been waiting for him to get a start. Um, yeah, I think a lot of us want to see him play in the Premier League. But we realise that it's going to be the cup competitions, uh, especially uh, the last game of the Champions League. Even though it wasn't technically a dead rubber, you know, we needed something out of the game uh, to, to make sure we topped the group. Uh, I think it was great to see him play and start the game and uh, get a full game. OK. Uh, Colin, was, were there any surprises in that lineup for you? Uh, just one, really, considering the players we had available, which was John Stones at um, right back. Um, give, presumably, uh, the idea was to give Carl Walker a bit of a rest for for the weekend. So that, you know, given given the squad we had available, I think that was um, a reasonable lineup. Ray, how did you feel that we started the game um, in the first half? I think one of the things I I kind of remember from the game is uh, we just weren't clinical and we were very sloppy as well. And it's something I've, I've noticed in. Um, Apart from playing the games against Shakhtar, I mean, this was supposed to be on paper quite an easy group. Um, Leon being probably the uh, strongest uh, of the opponents, Hoffenheim and Shakhtar. And I felt, apart, apart from Shakhtar, as I said, we've been sloppy all the way through. We've conceded goals when we've been very strong defensively, generally in the Premier League at the start of the season. And uh, we've been behind in, I've been behind in every single game. Um, and Hoffenheim have uh, done us done us twice early on, and we've been behind against uh, Leon. And you know that's kind of what surprised me. That's kind of what I'm taking away that the sloppiness. And I think that was definitely there um, at the start of the game. Sloppy passes, either over hits, short passes. We just didn't seem to be on our game. Well, uh, do you agree with that, Colin? Uh, yeah, there's not much not much different I can say to that really. That first sort of kind of 15 minutes till they got the penalty. We were a bit sloppy. I mean, uh, there was one occasion very early on, a couple of minutes, when um, Raheem Sterling seemed to be body-checked just on the edge of the area. And, the, and despite the fact that there was a referee and two officials in the area, no one seemed to think it was a problem. But there, there were little things. So uh, Phil Foden gave the ball away in a dangerous position. Then Phil Foden again. Uh, uh, Ilkay Gundogan played him a fantastic ball, but he took it into the area, took him clear. But he took a bit of a heavy first touch. And it just gave the Hoffenheim defence time to get back. And again, there was a mistake from Zinchenko uh, when he was last defender. He headed the ball and, and did a bit of a Julian, uh, Julian Lescott, Julian Lescott, um, Julian Lescott, and headed the ball backwards and let Kramerich in. So yeah, it was, um, you know, it was a, a bit of a hesitant, a little bit not quite together, fluid first fifteen minutes. And then of course they got the 
they got the goal. That's what we were going to talk about next, Ray. Was that really a penalty? Laporte had his hands on his back very gently, you know. Um, it wasn't, for, for me, it wasn't enough for the guy to go down. But from the, I think from the referee's angle, he sees Laporte's hands on his, uh, in his back or his shoulders. It's, the guy goes down. The referee probably doesn't know how hard uh, the contact was, how much contact there was, and whether Laporte pushed him at all in any way. But from where he's looking, he sees the, he sees the hands, he sees them on the opposition player, he sees him go down, and you can see why he gave it. What surprised me was actually um, Laporte didn't get a card. Um, you know, he was the last man. You could argue it's denying a goal scoring opportunity. You'd have expected at minimum a yellow card. That's what I would have thought. And uh, I think the referee was quite lenient, especially in the first half and the first 60 minutes, where he just wasn't giving cards for tackles and uh, fouls that generally you'd expect to see a yellow card uh, awarded. Uh, Colin, how did you see that? Was the referee hedging his bets there by uh, uh, giving a penalty but not giving a card? Well, it looked a penalty at the time, but I was down the other end of the stadium. I was on the south stand. So it certainly looked a penalty. And certainly, having watched it on the TV, you can see why the referee's given a penalty. Uh, now, interestingly, watching the TV playback, I think it was Chris Sutton, who was the um, assistant uh, the, the, working with the commentator. And um, he said it should have been a red card. And I thought, oh, he's talking nonsense. Oh, you because they, they changed the rules slightly on denial of a goal-scoring opportunity in a red card. And um, so I thought, well, yeah, he's not going to get a red card for that. But actually, when I checked the law, it said if there's a genuine attempt to play the ball, then referees shouldn't give a red card. But if there's a push or a pull or something like that, then denial of a clear goal-scoring goal opportunity should see a red card. So I think it's a daft law, because basically you should... Treat it the same as you treat it any other foul on the on in any other area of the field when you give a penalty. Because as I've argued before, when you give a penalty, you restore the goal scoring opportunity, and that that is the punishment. So so the foul that brought that should receive the same punishment as the foul the same foul being committed somewhere else on the pitch. And if that had been committed somewhere else on the pitch, I don't think it'd have been a yellow card. So uh, yeah, you can see both sides of the argument. Technically speaking, it could have been a red card. Yeah, but. It would have been daft to give a red card for that because it wasn't a red card foul, and they got the they got the goal scoring opportunity back. So yeah, penalty, but I think a red card would have been harsh, although probably technically correct under the rules. Yeah, that guy Kramerich was uh, looking a bit tasty uh, just before the penalty as well. I think he pr- uh, brought out a fantastic uh, save from um, Ederson. And uh, Ray, did you think that that penalty jolted us into life? Probably did actually. I mean, something had to, um, and I think. They carried on looking a little bit dangerous after that. and But you're right, it, it did kind of give us that kick up the backside that we need. And it seems to be a couple of games, a few, especially in the Champions League, we've needed a bit of a kick up the backside um, to, to get us going, to get us in, into gear and to get us uh, moving a little bit faster, passing the ball a little bit quicker. Um, and I think that when we do do that, we're a lot more dangerous. One great player for them, actually, uh, Cullen, was uh, the, the post on, on their goal frame. <laughs> what, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What, what did you think? Well, there were two, weren't there? So there was a corner uh, not long after they scored the penalty. I, I thought we were, um, I don't know how to put it really, I thought we were floundering a little bit, a little bit um, panicky. But we had that corner and a Gabriel Jesus header hit the post where, you know, could have gone out, could have gone inside the post, which kind of summed up Jesus's look to date. Uh, and then 15 minutes later, just after the half hour mark, there was a free kick, fantastic delivery from Gundogan. And um, it's Otamendi hit the bar with a header. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we could have easily gone in, you know, got to the just 35 minute mark, 2-1 up. 
yep. in between those two, um, sorry, in between those two um, hit, uh, hitting of the woodwork, there was another free kick where uh, John Stones got a great downward header. Um, unfortunately, it was a bit close to the keeper. Uh, keeper was lucky to save it. I think basically just hit him. It's quite quite funny that there was no one clamouring for that to be a fantastic world class save uh, like they'd done. Some people had said <laughs> the previous night with. Um, Allison. So, you know, it, it was a good header. It was a good pre kick, good header. Just unlucky um, that it hit the keeper. And as Colin said, we could have gone in, actually, we could have gone in 3 1 up. Well, we could have, yeah, because um, we actually did start to play, didn't we, after about after that point? And, um, you know, just a few minutes after that, uh, Otamendi had hit the bar. Uh, Phil Foden was set up by Raheem Sterling in a good scoring position. But he just took a second too long to, yeah. second or two too long to get the shot away. And, which was kind of, apart from one brilliant pass, it was kind of the story of his half. It, it was a bit tentative, a bit taking a little bit too long. And um, but yeah, but you know, he had a good good chance for a shot. Uh, and, and you know, yeah, so, so yeah, it could at that point have been three one if he got a shot away. But we certainly had the two the two headers that hit the bar and post. We're heading to the uh, to the halftime mark. Looks like we're going to go in one nil down. Then uh, in stoppage time of the first half, I think it was 45 plus one, we got a free kick. Talk us through that, Ray. Uh, it must have been, what, 25, 30 yards? Mm-hmm. Um, 30 it was, yeah. 30 yards. And you're looking at who's going to take it. You know, and the, I think the goalkeeper was kind of stood uh, pretty central. It could have a right footer or a left footer. Sane there, he looked quite serious. He wanted to take it. Uh, it's great that he, 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 he uh, stood up uh, and took the, the free kick. And he hits it, it kind of went like over the wall and then it starts to arc away from the keeper and it just curled further and further away. And it's like the keeper thought, oh, I've got this. And then a fraction of a second later, he hadn't. And it was right in the corner. And um, I, to be honest, you, you're not going to see a better uh, free kick than that. Um, once it had gone um, over the wall, the goalie had no chance. It was uh, unbelievable. And I think it just shows that Sane on his day, is uh, he, can, he's, he can be world class. What a rocket, Colin! Did you think that Leroy had that in his locker? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't think David Silver had his had it in his locker the other week because we're laughing. He said the guy can't take a corner. David Silver struggles to take a decent corner, yet he put that twenty-five yard free kick in. Uh-huh. Uh, and Leroy had a little bit more faith in, but no, I don't think he had it in his locker. Just one interesting thing, actually, the free kick from which we got that goal. Gabriel Jesus got clattered by a couple of Hoffenheim players. Uh, and one of them came flying in from the side with his studs up. Uh, the guy didn't get a card. And, and that, that if you did that in the Premier League, that could well have been a red card. It was very similar to the one Vincent Kimberley got sent off for against United in the FA Cup a few seasons ago. Mm. He really went in quite recklessly, for excessive force uh, on the borderline between those two, which is a yellow and red card. But he didn't, fortunately, he didn't catch Gabriel Jesus. So, so easily, the... the that Hoffenheim player could easily have gone for that tackle. But yeah, it was a... Well, if you notice, when the, there was a lot of argy-bargy. I don't know if they showed it on the TV, but there was a lot of argy-bargy in the wall. Uh, I think they were showing the free kick replay at the time. Quite a bit of argy-bargy in the wall, and then it settled down. And Bernardo Silva was stood... I think there were four Hoffenheim players. Bernardo Silva was stood on the uh, right, as I was looking at it, from behind. And he... Uh, and then there was a gap to another Hoffenheim player. And, and Bernardo Silva just moved out of the way to give um, Leroy Sane the gap. But uh, Sane put it right over the top mm-hmm. of where Bernardo Silva was. So even if Bernardo Silva had been stood there, uh, Leroy would have got it on target. But that was the gap he was aiming for. Uh, but he got just that little bit of height on it. 
which took it over the wall and into the corner of the net. It was an absolute blinder. How do you think the uh, initial period of the second half was going, the period just before our second goal? Um, it was a good start for us. We came out really fired up. I think that goal had really given us confidence. I mean, we had um, the first thing. Obviously, Kyle Walker came on for um, John Stones, who uh, appears to have had a little bit of a, a strain. I, I didn't think Stones looked particularly comfortable in the right-back position because when he's central, he's got players on either side of him. He can go to the right, he can go to the left. When he's at right-back, he's got the touchline sort of hemming him in. And I think that, that kind of impacted him a little. Um, it made him a little bit uncertain. But anyway, we had that somewhat puzzling incident a few minutes in when uh, we had a corner, I think, and uh, Laporte had two close attempts saved by the Hoffenheim goalkeeper, Bauman. But the flag went up and no one could understand why. But it looks as though the ball may... Oh, it looks as though the officials thought the ball may have gone out from the corner. And then a minute later, there was an absolutely fantastic ball from Phil Foden to give Raheem Sterling a chance when the ball deflected off the defender. We had, and then of course, we had that 52 minutes, we had that brilliant <laughs> three on three on the goalkeeper. Love that. Uh, no, actually, no, that wasn't quite the one. That, that was the one where, uh, sorry, Jesus was denied by the keeper from a, quite a tight angle. So he put it, um, he kind of, uh, Bauman sort of got a hand to it, put it out for a corner on the far side. And then there was, um, Leo Sana took the corner and uh, there was a Nicholas Otamendi header. Uh, then a couple of minutes later, actually it came from a Hoffenheim corner. They took a really poor corner, didn't put it in deep enough. Yeah. Uh, and then we got that break with um, Sterling on the ball. That was comical. I, you know, it just it was like a car- it was like a cartoon. Uh, Ray, do you remember that the three on one? Oh, uh, that's probably what sticks in in my head the most. And at the time, it was one one, and I think we were fortunate as well uh, that uh, the game in Shakhtar, you know, Leon weren't ahead. And you know, I've, I've said in, in one of my own um, um, uh, reviews of the game on on on, on our uh, channel. Um, you know, we we needed to win that game, or at least get um, the same result as um, as Leon, because we wanted to top the group. We didn't want to end up potentially facing uh, Barcelona or Juventus or uh, Real Madrid or Dortmund or uh, Bayern Munich. You know, all the really top teams that were left, and so we needed something. And it was quite. Some people say Keystone Cops. Some people say ridiculous. Um, it was very. Um, Four of us, to be honest, we were three on one. Sterling had run probably from about five, ten yards from outside our box, yeah. all the way um, to the edge of their box. We were three on one, and they had one defender. I mean, uh, to his credit, he busted up um, to get back, but it should have been a, a straightforward goal. I mean, Raheem uh, hit it uh, across the area to to Sane. You'd expect Sane just to slot it home. Um, the goalkeeper was rushing across, but it was still there was a load of space for Sane to tap it in, and he decided to uh, actually uh, knock it back a few yards to Bernardo Silva, who was uh, up there with the lads. And it looked like Bernardo wasn't expecting that. I mean, Bernardo was yeah. just there in case the goalie saved it. He was certainly not expecting Sane to, to pass it back to him, and he kind of took a touch, stumbled, and it went straight to the keeper. And you know, it kind of summed up. Uh, one of the first things I said, we were just not clinical. And I don't think we've been clinical for a few games. And that should have been a goal and it should have been all done and dusted. And because it wasn't, we were still at risk from Hoffenheim, who by that stage, they were throwing pretty much time to throw everything at us because they wanted to win to give themselves a chance to get into the Europa League. I was just going to say that because that first 15 minutes of the second half, it was just end to end. 
And, 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 and look, when they went, funny, I was saying, in the South Stands, I was right behind that break. Uh, and when we saw kind of three players in, in their half with, with just um, that, that the left fullback Schultz, the left wingback Schultz chasing them, I just said to the guy next to me, well, it's a goal. Uh, <laughs> <and> it, <laughs> just head in hand moment, but wasn't guys, it? But, does, does my memory deceive me or did we have another moment ex- almost exactly like that? Um, just a little bit later where there are three guys running. It wasn't three on one this time, but I think if my memory serves correctly, then there was another burst forward, surge forward from three players, very, very similar to that one. Do you do you recall that? I, I do recall Forden getting out. I mean, someone putting Forden through and he put a cross in uh, for Raheem Sterling. Is, yeah. that, is that the one where Raheem, yeah. he just missed the goal? I mean, it was it was a, it was a sitter, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you're thinking of the goal, wasn't it? Because that was about five minutes later. Yeah. And again, we had three players. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan did fantastically well to win the ball just outside the City box. He made a fantastic kind of cross-field pass to Sane, who I think was just about on the halfway line. Uh, and he took the ball forward and, and um, Sterling and Jesus were with him. So he played the ball to Sterling, on, who was on the right-hand side. And Gabriel Jesus took this wonderful little run to take the defender out creates the space for Sane to run into, and uh, Sterling finds him brilliantly. It looks so wonderful when we uh, we do that. But uh, guys, uh, I'll just uh, ask this question to Ray. Ray, our performances in these Champions League games, do they sort of give you cause for concern, make you sort of have some mis- misgivings about our prospects in this competition? I'm concerned that we've let goals in every single game, and we've been behind you know, uh, in, in these games. And at the time, especially in the early games, our league form, we were not letting many goals in at all. We, we had a lot of uh, clean sheets in the Premier League. And, um, you know, we, we lost to Leon at home. Uh, I was quite a surprise. We were lucky, if I remember correctly, to beat Hoffenheim over at their place with uh, David Silva with a, a very, very late goal. Uh, we were lucky in, uh, in Leon to uh, to get a, come away with a draw, even though we had a lot of opportunities. So did Leon. And... Uh, um, or, you know, so every single one of those games, apart from the Shakhtar ones, where we just slapped them around um, six and three, we've, we've, um, I'd say we've, we've struggled. We've had lots of opportunities, but so have the other teams, and we've made a lot more mistakes than we'd expect to make. And so, you, is it because we perceive those games as as being too easy? That's I can't put my finger on anything else. Um, I can't turn around and say I think Hoffenheim are a great team. The, that would challenge the you know in the top four in in, in the Premier League because I don't think they would. But if we were playing a Premier League team, we wouldn't have made uh, those same sort of mistakes and some lackadaisical play um, that we were doing in the Champions League. So I can only say that we just were expecting to win and and just weren't really at the races. Trying to I was trying to compare Hoffenheim to a, a Premier League team, and, and I came up with uh, Bournemouth it's because reasonable. they were. They were quite a decent team, played decent football, didn't maybe have the quality in the squad, maybe apart from Cranbridge and one or two others, but very naive. But I think we are a bit naive in Europe, aren't we? I mean, it's, we seem to fall into one, uh, you know, into one of two pots, really. Sometimes Pep overthinks it uh, and makes a horrendous mess of, of the um, lineup and, and tries to do 
something completely ridiculous. Like, I mean, we talked about this the other day, I think, was it against uh, Leon, where he, um, Sinchenko was playing this weird sort of old halfback position. And again, against um, Liverpool Anfield last season, when Gundogan was playing the same sort of position. Uh, so sometimes he overthinks it. He tries to overcomplicate things. and then, uh, But sometimes I think we're a little bit too open and naive. You know, and, and the better team, Hoffenheim gave us again. You know, the Real Madrid, the Juventus says, we'll find us out unless we can work out how to close games down. I mean, we did it at Anfield this season in the league. We yeah. completely negated Liverpool. So we can do it. And we saw it at the end of last season as well. well I think I remember one game I remember was against Spurs when we went 2-1. We, well, Spurs scored to bring it back to 2-1. We closed that game down quite, quite cleverly. So we can do it. But, but Pep seems to fall between the two stools of trying to play the way we play against Bournemouth and, and, and playing some daft system that confuses the players. Yeah, Ray, one of the problems I think was put quite well by a friend of mine when he just said that, uh, just out of the side of his mouth, quite a droll fellow, um, Pep just doesn't have a defensive bone in his body. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, no, I, I would disagree slightly because, as Colin said, against Liverpool, you know, we, we played Mahrez because we knew he'd be disciplined. Um, on on the right, and I think Pep, Pep picked a team, and and Walk wasn't bombing forward. He picked a team to play a certain way to make sure um, that we negated um, Liverpool's, uh, you know, famous front three. Um, it just seems in the in the Champions League group stages, we're just um, quite happy to play a very open uh, game where it is end to end stuff, and I just don't understand. Uh, the ideas behind it, whether Pep uh, is thinking, well, we're going to get through anyway, let's have a bit of fun. And, you know, and because we're going to get through the group and probably win it anyway. I just don't understand, understand it, why we, we are, we've seen so open. And it is, as Colin said, it's end to end stuff. Colin, after the goal, the goal was scored uh, about the hour mark. So, how do you think that we uh, progressed after the goal for 2 1? Well, I mean, we did shoot it quite well. We had opportunities. Uh, Gabriel Jesus had that fantastic little turn and run when he took about three Hoffenheim players out, then got wiped out. Phil Foden had that fantastic, well, a couple yeah. of shots. Um, he had a decent shot. Then he had that wonderful um, volley. Oh, yeah, that was um, great, wasn't it? Which was fantastic. Fabian Delph had a shot. But, I mean, Hoffenheim were having chances as well. You know, it was still it was still end-to-end. Uh, uh, while we certainly had the advantage, because obviously at 2-1, at 2-1 a draw is good enough for us to win the group. I suppose we could afford to potentially take the chance. But again, as Ray said earlier, Hoffenheim, uh, without knowing the results in um, the Ukraine, they have to win that game to stand a chance of staying in European competition. But but yeah, it was. Um, I, I did, there were still chances at both ends. I think Reese Nelson had a great chance. Uh, yeah. Reese Nelson, where I think uh, Edison saved with his foot. I think Reese Nelson had a couple of opportunities when he was up there. I think um, one he wasn't sure what to do and um, really messed it up. But that, that, that shot, you know, we needed Edison um, to use his feet in a different way rather than pass it to to one of our uh, defenders or midfielders. We needed him to to actually save it. And um, it's a surprise that we. Or isn't isn't it that we we sometimes we just leave ourselves open? There was no way we should have really had one on one in that situation where we should have been closing the game out. And I think a couple of times we find ourselves lacking in defence. Uh, it's 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 a puzzle. And as you say, Mike, it, it can come to 
Sabatis in the backside uh, later in the tournament. Colin, overall, how did you feel about the performance of Phil Foden? Um, Guardiola called him a diamond. He he said, uh, and I, I, I quote, over 19 minutes, Phil was incredible the way he played. I have never had doubts about him. I think I never will have doubts about the quality of that guy. He's able to play with us. It does not matter where he looks like he's skinny and not strong, but he's really, really strong. Uh, an outstanding young player and a huge talent. Of course, Pep Dawes, as we know, have a gift for hyperbole um, <laughs> in the press. Surely not. But um, I, I certainly I felt that um, he was a, a you know a little bit edgy, but he grew into it and uh, ended up doing very well, especially with that volley. Colin, how did you feel? Yeah, I think the first half um, he was a little tentative. There was, there was one absolutely great pass early on, real, real beautiful pass. But I felt the first half he was a little tentative. So you know, what we associate with Phil Foden is great confidence, ability to use the ball, he'll run with the ball, he can pass it. But I felt most of the time in that first half, he took the safe option, which, which kind of made him look a little bit, didn't give rein to his full range of skills. But almost from the, from the off of the second half, it was like the Phil Foden we, we come to know. You know, this very confident uh, player who'll try all sorts of stuff. My, my only criticism of of him, and it came out a few times in that game, was his thinking is often a second or two behind everyone else's. It kind of first noticed that when he had that shooting chance in the first half, and he just hesitated a couple of seconds when he should have just um, gone at it. And then there was a, an occasion in the second half where he should have played Sterling in quicker, and he missed the opportunity. He thought about it too long, missed the opportunity. So that would be my my one criticism of him is that his speed of thought is not quite up with the other guys. It was, as I said earlier on, it was great to see him start. As, as Colin said, it he was a bit slow, a couple of sloppy passes, but it was great to see him. I think one um, poor pass and um, Hoffenheim broke and were running away, and he really busted got He, uh, you know, he really chased back to to make up for his mistakes. But he he made some mistakes. But as Colin yeah. said as well, he grew into the game. And there's one thing I'd say to some of the pundits because there's been in the last couple of weeks, especially on the radio, especially the pundits are having a go at him and saying he should leave. You know, he shouldn't stay because he's not getting enough um, game time. And he should do what Sancho did. And I, I would just say to them, leave the kid alone. You know, these pundits who've a lot of them who've never played the game, they think they know it all. And yes, I know some of it's just really to be mischievous and to you know to get people to call into these radio stations. Um, he signed his six-year contract with City this week. The kid was never going to go anywhere else. It's his boyhood club, and he will get more and more minutes. And we can we know that some of the the better players, the attacking midfielders like David Silva, you know, he's getting on a bit, and with you know in a couple of seasons he'll be gone. And I see Phil Ford and naturally getting more game time. Um, as I think said, actually, even though the critics in in in, in some of the media and the press have had to go at him, he's had more minutes already this season than he had last season, in the whole of last season. So he's already had more minutes. He'll keep getting them in the Carabao Cup. Uh, he'll get more and more minutes in in the league. And I've no doubt, you know, he's he's not been asked to do too much too soon. And you know, and I think that's great. You don't want to end up with a situation, for argument's sake, uh, like Wayne Rooney, who started at 16, was thrown in, was doing everything, and really in his late twenties, he once he was washed out, but he was not good enough to play in, in a top four team uh, at Man United, and he, he struggled a bit. And I'm I'm much happier for Foden to take a a, a slower 
uh, roots and not to play too much football uh, at a young age. Yeah, Colin, there, there was that filthy tweet by Neil Custis and Foden had uh, the had announced, you know, the the six year contract. He came out with this uh, tweet and it says that Phil Foden has signed up for six years of sitting on the bench. <laughs> and uh, I, I just can't work this out. Isn't Custis supposed to be the Manchester correspondent? But he never has a good word to say about City at all. I mean, it's unbelievable. It might as well be Alison Rudd. But he's supposed well, to be the Manchester. <laughs> he's yeah, supposed to be the well. Manchester correspondent. He's supposed to be, you know, to cover both teams. If you notice, he has taken the Manchester City yeah. bit out of his bio. Now I think I know we we banned him uh, a few seasons ago. Is that right? What was that about? I, well, probably something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm definitely in the impression someone told me that he was banned from the Etihad. Now whether they'd received, I, I think people have said they've seen him since. But if any, uh, you know. If anyone sees him at the Etihad these days, he's more likely to get a baseball bat. Not that you could get a baseball bat. No, he into has. The... I think he has been to the Etihad because his daughter wants. I think she supports City or she wants to watch City play. So I think he's had to admit that reluctantly he has to go to the Etihad and watch City games so that his daughter can watch good football. Well, well whether he goes as a as a paying customer or as a member of the media, someone had told me that at one point in the past he was certainly banned. But the way he talks about us, I mean, he should be. <laughs> yeah, um, I just could never figure and he's taken the Manchester, he's taken the Manchester City bit out of his bio, so I, I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But there's, there's a few people who know him. Uh, interestingly, actually, his boss, his editor, is his brother Sean, oh. and apparently the two guys do not get on at all. Oh gosh, I, I can never really square that. I just thought he was a, it was a Newcastle supporter who was uh, in this in this sad position of having to cover. Manchester and, uh, and I thought, why is he so biased against City? Well, well, well. The other thing is, it's Duncan Castle syndrome. What's that? Well, well. Basically, he's so far in Mourinho's pocket or up his backside yeah. that he's coming out with this stuff yeah. almost as a a cartoon villain. Yeah, and Castle yeah. is another one. He just seems to have lost all self awareness. I mean, if I was a journalist, I mean, I wouldn't I dare write half the stuff that he's doing because you're just you're just telling people I am not objective. I hate. City, well, well, I love to, Man well, United. Got, yeah, what you've got to remember is there are very few truly independent journalists, yeah. and a lot of them will have their preferred sources in the media. A lot of those sources will be agents, because of course it's an agent's interest to push their players. So of course they court journalists, so their their particular players get great write-ups. Or um, you, you'll often find a journalist doing an exclusive interview with a player, a, a, a powder puff piece. Because they're friendly with that agent. Because basically, to get to a player, you've got to get through the club PR and you've got to get through the agent. So if you know, if you see a very sometimes if you see a very complimentary piece on a player, it could be because that journalist is in the agent's pocket. And of course, journalists also have managers as uh, friends. And you know, very few journalists go out to write an original story. And uh, we were talk- talking about this today, actually, at the game about the story that came out about City face a ban from Europe, okay? And and this came about as a result of a story written by Martin Ziegler in The Times, who is another one who seemed to have a bit of a downer on us. Uh, But I don't really read The Times, and it's behind a paywall, so I've no idea. And and Ziegler, there'd been a press conference by the um, UEFA president, uh, Alexander Seferin, and he said they'd asked him about the city case, and he he basically said uh, we're, we're in, uh, there's an independent body investigating it, and when they looked looked at this concrete case, now of course English isn't his first language, and the context of what he said made it clear that what he meant was specific case. 
So basically he said, well, we're investigating it. We've got an independent body doing that. And when we've done that, we'll have a look and decide if any, we take any further action in, in this case. So, so that wasn't a story. But, but Ziegler took this, these words, concrete case, to, to mean that UEFA had a concrete case against us. Despite that, that's not what Seferin said. So, so then he published this story, big exclusive, um, UEFA set to ban City. And of course, all the other papers pick it up. So the mail were just a few minutes behind. Because basically, if papers see a big splash in one in one newspaper, they'll rewrite it for their own purposes and put their own spin up it. So, so the mail did that, and everyone else picked that, picked that story up. And then David Conn, who's not someone who gets a good press from a lot of City fans, but I have to declare an interest, I know David quite well, uh, and he, he does things based on the fact. And he is he is not in anyone's pocket. Um, he He's his own man, whether people like that or not. David is his own man. And he actually went to investigate this story. He spoke to UEFA. I think he spoke to the uh, Premier League. He spoke to City, I think. Uh, and, and what came out of that story was UEFA was still looking, which is what Seferin had said. UEFA was still looking at it. But uh, actually, a ban was unlikely. And, and it got, put a completely different face on the story that originally had been released. And, and of course, uh, Ziegler quoted an unnamed source in UEFA. Well, I think... We can possibly um, put a name to that source. Uh, we can speculate and put a name to that source that his surname might rhyme with uh, Bill or Pill or Phil or, you know, something of that ilk. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, you know, I know we've gone off track a little bit, but yeah. when we're talking about Custis, to, to, to kind of summarise, you've got to remember that very few journalists go and get their own stories, that they're fed them by... Uh, Mourinho stroke Mendes and Castles. Uh, sorry, and Custis is the same. Ray, we have got off track a little bit, but I'm enjoying it. Um, another <laughs> one is Alison Rudd. I mean, my goodness. I mean, she. You. You would have to. I don't know what you'd have to do to get her to say a positive word about Man City. Uh, Alison Rudd. I'll be quite honest. Uh, I watched a little bit of her on uh, Sunday Supplement a year or two ago, and I've never read or listened to her since. I think they asked her once who her um, the best footballer she'd seen live uh, in her life, and she came up with Yari Lipmanen. <laughs> and uh, ever I, I, look, I, I actually like Yari Lipmanen, um, but when you've got a choice, you know, you got um, Messi, Ronaldo, you know, and other p- players are really, really good, and to come up with Yari Lipmanen. Um, I just couldn't take her seriously, and I, I, you know, I, and also I think there was a time when she said City was it last just before last season she said City wouldn't get top four, so I can't yeah. take her seriously. I've got nothing but, against you know I'm not it's, it's not in a way I'll say this it's not sexist it's anyway. If someone's rubbish, it doesn't matter if they're male or female. I'm not going to be interested. Well, well with Alison Rudd, uh, the, the uh, this is a pre-season last season in the Times, she predicted City to finish fifth. Okay. She's a Liverpool fan. You know, yeah, she, she, she's, um, she was born up um, Ormskirk way, I think, or, or somewhere out that way. So Merseyside area. So she's a Liverpool fan. That's fine. You know, but she predicted City to finish outside the top four, which was a bit silly. She was the only one even remotely considering that possibility. But what, what <laughs> really made it quite bizarre was they did a mid-season review. And they asked <laughs> the, the Times, I don't listen to it. I, I, mean, I love Gabe Marcotti. He, he is one of my favourite journalists. And he's a great guy to deal with. I've dealt with Gabe a few times. On Ever so slightly uh, pompous, though, I think, uh, Mark Hodder. Uh, yeah, well, all journalists are. Most of the times, journalists. Uh, uh, 
Marcotti, uh, Philippe Auclair, Jonathan Wilson's another guy I met a few times. I really like these guys at this level, all a bit pompous. Anyway, uh, Rudd was on the Times podcast and and they were asked to rate, you know, A to E each team's performance so far. And she gave, we were taught by what, 12 points at the time or something? And she gave us a B plus. And, you know, when they asked her why, you know, the 12 points top, why are you giving them a B plus? She said, well, they're about where I expected them to be. But she predicted us to finish out the top five. And yet we were leading the, leading the division by about, uh, you know, over uh, 11, 12 points. Maybe, maybe it might have been more. So she got some laughter over that. But the foot, the, the, weird, the really bizarre thing is when people say, and I think Ray said it earlier, you know, these journalists have never played the game. Alison Rudd uh, did play for Leighton Orient Ladies and she's a qualified referee. So of all the journalists, she is probably the best qualified from a football point of view. For her to be so utterly clueless, <laughs> beggars belief on, on, on that on that basis. Uh, Ray, are, are there any other journalists out there that, um, so since we're having fun, are there any other, other journalists <laughs> out there that, that irritate you that could uh, qualify for the, uh, you know, the, the title of Enemy of Man City? I wouldn't say Enemy of Man City. Um, you might have noticed a few of you on Twitter recently. Um, I've been trying to talk to Darren Lewis. And this is a serious subject. Da- uh, Darren is, is a, supposedly a, a champion of... Uh, of uh, let's say he's pushing for the Rooney Rule for black managers. He champions uh, uh, black uh, players or managers' causes. And I've, I asked him, um, I look back at some tweets I, um, I sent him in the summer, and I asked him when there were some stories about Raheem Sterling, there were always these ridiculous stories uh, vilifying him or bullying him or uh, prejudice stories, call them what you will. And I asked him um, what he, whether he had anything to say about it. And I think at the time he said something like, this, this story's gone, it's finished. I said something and you know, it, this story's over. And obviously Raheem came out last week, uh, last weekend in an Instagram post after Chelsea criticising the press. And Darren Lewis has spent and he spent the week on radio, on TV, talking about it. You saw him sucking up to Piers Morgan on GMB, uh, Good Morning Britain, and thanking him for giving him, you know, getting him the job at Mirror or whatever. And I've, I've constantly asked Darren Lewis for, for, for weeks and months, what have you done and said? Show me the articles, show me the tweets, show me anything where you've criticised your colleagues for what they've been doing to Raheem Sterling. You're a black journalist, very few black journalists out there, okay? Um, I think he was, the, was, someone said he was the only black journalist from the UK mainstream media in Russia out of 63 or 64 journalists. You are out there, you look, and I, I've said to him, you're looking for the easy, the easy point scores. You're going about the Rooney rule. You're going about this. You're talking about now the words we use, and if you say call somebody lazy, uh, you're being, you know, you're dangerously close to being racist. And I've said to him, where have you said anything that criticizes or castigates your colleagues for the outrageous statements against Raheem Sterling? There's none of them, and he's been, um, he's basically been silent. He doesn't want to talk about it, but he'll go on on GMB and go on Talksport um, and choose his words very carefully. And, and I've said to him, I'm sorry, mate, you've gotten. You know, I'm, a, I'm very serious here, but you've got no moral courage. You've put the, the pound sign, you know, the, uh, in your back pocket and your career above objectivity. And, and I want you to take a risk. And it is taking a risk because he knows if he takes a risk, he, if he steps out, out of line, his job at the mirror might be gone. So, you know, OK, it's, 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 we've gone from jocular to serious. But it is very, very serious. And there's um, another chap, I, sadly, I'd never heard of him, a BBC reporter. 
who put something out in yesterday talking about the uh, the problems within the BBC itself. And I'm hoping to speak to him because um, looking at his article, it's very interesting. And I, I'm sorry, you know, you, whether you use this or not. Um, it's very interesting. He's, he wants to talk about BAME. I never really understood exactly what that means. I know it's black and minority ethnics. Yep. But he pushed it from the black point of view. And I did it. Uh, OK, there's a lot more black play, players than brown players, let's say, uh, playing football. But in in um, the population at large, there's a lot more brown players, uh, brown people than black people. It's, I started to get a, a hint to a coloured thing here. But there's there's no one pushing that brown representation. I'm not saying they should or they shouldn't. But it is very, very particular, and we we'll, we'll end up going to, talking about the subject. And I'll stop it here. That is, you know, where people have got their own interests, and sadly, you know, it, and it's natural people push their own interests. Um, so I'd love, you know, and I've, I've been calling and asking journalists come out and say something, come and talk to us. A couple of journalists have actually had the the courage. Um, to speak to Andy uh, from Man City Fan TV. I think John Dillon did it after his um, comments about David Silver and City. And Jonathan Norcroft has come on our channel and, um, you know, uh, given his point of view, is a lot of criticism from City fans. And I'd love other journalists to take the opportunity to come and talk to us because if we don't engage with them, how can we, if we insult them simply on, on social media, they're just going to block us and we get nowhere. So we want to engage with them talk to them and I hope they can get um our, they can get our point of view across and they can understand where we're coming from uh, I, I tried it with Duncan Castles uh, I spent a day talking to Duncan Castles on Twitter um this was I think all around uh, the hedges uh, issue with the, the fella in um, in the UAE uh, he was imprisoned for uh, for spying and once Duncan was losing he just disappeared and yeah. I, I, that disappoints me with with these journalists where I, I did it with Ollie Holt yesterday we start a conversation he knows he's he's going to lose straight away within two tweets he's gone because uh, you know because they've got nothing to say they've got no comeback and it, it, it's it's and I've said some stuff today it's shameful that they 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 want to run away they, sometimes they'll throw a hand grenade and leg it. You know, I want them to stay and see the consequences and understand the consequences of tossing that hand grenade and see what, see the explosion and stick around and deal with it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ray. Just to, to finish off that little bit, uh, Colin, Custis, Rudd, Castles. Is there anyone else I've left out? Of that, you know, that just can't. Oh, I mean, we could do a we could do a one hour special, two part <laughs> special, on it, couldn't we? Um, yeah, there, there are some very good ones out there, but a, a lot of them get very precious. And I think another thing you have to remember is the the, the business model of the media these days is about hits and clicks yeah. because it um, guarantees advertising revenue. And I had this conversation. I won't name him, but he was a, a well respected journalist at the Times, and we had an off record conversation at a Manchester Football Writers Festival event, which had been talking and uh, he said and said this is the time speaking he said i could write the greatest piece i've ever written and it might only get a hundred hits and my editor would kick my ass all around the newsroom and out the door he said i could write the biggest load of rubbish that i'd ever written and i could get a million hits and i would be golden boy you know i'd get taken out for lunch or something and, and that and that is a quality supposedly quality paper. And funnily enough, having he told me that, and another 
Times journalist tweeted or put something out there saying, I can't name him, but I know a journalist who has, has said something like this. And I knew who he was talking about. It was one of his own. No, he said it was a Sunday Times journalist. who, And he said, I know a journalist who doesn't work for my publication. And I knew exactly who he was talking about. He didn't work for the Sunday Times, but he did work for the Times. And um, you have to remember, I've had the conversation with Stuart Brennan. Stuart's a great guy. Stuart was quite straight. and He's a great guy, Stuart. He said, if we run a United story, we will get 10 times as many hits as a City story. So, you know, if you run a United story saying uh, Messi to United, that would get that might get uh, um, 10 million hits. If you run a, a story Messi to City, that might get a million hits. And, and, and the point I was trying to make was that United stories and, and Liverpool, they're, they're stories that sell advertising because they get hits. And, and, and if you want to prove that, Go on, look at the Metro online and look at their football page and you will see United, Liverpool, Arsenal and maybe Spurs, maybe Chelsea. If you're looking for our match report, when all the big teams are played, you will struggle to find it. Yeah, I find that myself. But there will be a section on United, a section on Arsenal, a section on Liverpool, and maybe something on Chelsea, maybe something on Spurs, but we won't figure at all. Yeah, I understand that very well. I mean, you know, one of the, the podcasts that initially I liked very much was the Transfer Window podcast because of the title, the Transfer Window podcast. And I'm, I'm, I started listening to hear all of the rumours for all the big teams, Juventus, City, Barca, uh, Madrid, and it's like the first half hour of that program, which is probably only an hour long, is everything to do with Mourinho, everything to do with United, and that's possibly a function of Duncan Castles being on there, but I thought that Ian McGarry, the other one, would add a bit of balance to it, but he's quite happy to you know, sit and chat for the, like half of the program about Mourinho and Man United, and they do it every single week. It's not like the odd week. So it's a clearly... You know, driven by the need to no, no, to no. get clicks and, and and listens on the back of their huge fan just, base, right? In some ways, I'm not going to blame journalists because they're doing the job that their people. You know, if we do a job, we may get told to do X, and we think, well, actually, Y is a better way of doing it. But if you can't persuade your boss that Y is a better way of doing it, then you do it their way, or you. So they're only doing what they're told to do. You know, and I've heard so many stories about this. So in one way, you can't blame them. You have to kind of look through that and see it. But, you know, you get to people, and that's what people like Custis and um, Duncan Castles are doing. They're doing what they're told to do, and, and that's their way of earning their living. Whether they're happy with that, uh, I don't know. You know I, I'd love to have a, an off-record conversation with them. But, um, yeah, there, there are some idiots out there. I mean, you know, what, Alison Rudd's not being paid to say so say some of the stuff she's paying, one, one presumes. Um, and, and, and as Ray said earlier in his, in his kind of impassioned little uh, piece about um, the way journalists deal with the uh, whole issue of racism, they get very precious. If you challenge them and you haven't got an answer, they, they get very precious and they'll either ignore you or they'll, they'll block you or, or they'll abuse you. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've had that experience with a couple. Um, Philip O'Claire at The Guardian, uh, very cultured man and uh, they were running some silly stuff when Joey Barton got uh, banned for his betting activities. A lot of journalists took the line that, oh, you know, Barton's been a bit unlucky. Barton's been a victim. It's all the fault of the betting industry. There's too much. And, and I said to him, you, you know, there's a few of them having this conversation. One one I knew it might have been Jack Pitbrook. I don't know. I said, you, you know, you're absolutely wrong. You're trying to make, ex- yes, you've got a point, but you're trying to make excuses for Barton, who knew the rules. Let's separate that incident. That hasn't, one has nothing to do with the other. Barton knew the rules and knew what the consequences were if he were to get caught. And, and that, that is one side of it. And you're making him out to be the victim in this. 
And I got a really abusive response from Eau Claire. I say, who was one of the most, I've seen him live, and he's one of the most amusing and, and kind of cultured, well-read journalists I've ever come across. And I got this abusive response. Did you get blocked? Oh. Uh, no, I blocked him. <laughs> I got blocked by Barney Roney. Who's your uh, Who's your top level blocker, uh, Ray? Actually, someone someone asked me this today. They said um, you're not being blocked by Stan Collymore. No, you're not being blocked by Piers Morgan. No, Duncan Castles. No, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know anybody actually who's blocked me. I'm really uh, surprised. You're the Teflon Dawn, aren't you? <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, like, I mean, I'll be quite honest. Darren Lewis is, has, has got at least 50 uh, or 100 um, in the last uh, six months messages from me, and he's not blocked me. So I'm, no one's blocking me yet. I, I, I don't know what they're afraid of. Um, uh, you're, you're, you're no one, Ray, until you've been blocked at the highest level. <laughs> I, I've been blocked by oh, well, everyone's been blocked by Collymore apart from Ray. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think I must have been blocked by Ian Herbert. That's the only one I know about. <laughs> and he is one. He is. I'm quite happy not to read Ian Herbert's music. He, he is one that does annoy me. Actually, you can add him to the put him on the list. Ian Herbert. Guys, back to the game. There's a really, really weird little stat attack here. Um, I'm looking at, and one of the weirdest ones is this one. Leroy Sané is the first German to score twice against German opponents in the Champions League <laughs> since, Karsten, since Karsten Janker for Bayern Munich against Kaiserslautern in March 1999. What a stat that is, or what a, what a factoid that is. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Leroy. Would, would he be your man of the match then, Ray? I scored two goals. I don't think you can give it to anybody else. He was always a, a danger. Um, and for the two goals, I don't think you can really. I, I think Sterling uh, was, uh, wasn't too bad. I think overall, we, you know, uh, frontline worked hard, but Sane scored two goals. You can't take it away from him. What would you say, uh, Colin? I think Sane. Yeah, I, I don't think you can take it away. Looking at my um, my notes, um, I thought Sane was the man of the match. I thought, as Ray said, Sterling had a great game. I thought Ilkay Gundogan had a fantastic game. Didn't miss Fernandinho at all. Ederson was um, great too. But, but, wasn't that, he? but that was Ederson had a good game. I thought Gabriel Jesus, you know, he was popping up in the right back spot. Uh, he worked so hard, and he looked to have his confidence back. And of course, his two goals against Everton. Uh, today seems to suggest that, but yeah. So, so I thought there were, you know, Sane was definitely man of the match. Sterling, Jesus, Gundogan, Edison. I've all marked as eight out, of, eight out of ten, and Leroy a nine out of ten. So, I've just thought of a great title for this uh, podcast, guys. I'm going to call it Catharsis. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, okay. So, yeah, very guys, good. we'll we'll stop it there, and uh, we'll just thank both of our guests today. First of all, thank you very much, Colin Savage. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And Ray, wonderful, impassioned Ray. Thank you so much for coming on. It's always a privilege, Mike, always. Oh, okay, guys, well, you'll, we'll, we'll be very soon back to you with another podcast from the Bolt from the Blue. So until then, have one on us. And as we always say, up the blues. Well, the blues, the blues, the blues, the blues.